secrets in this town. Lies fly if truth gets off the ground. I'll never leave it, never live it down. Oh, there are no secrets in this town. Remember every scar Trace them with my fingers Like a night full of stars In an ocean where I always drown Oh, there are no secrets in this town One day you left a note Said you're going where it's warm Give goodwill your coat Only postscript to the ache you wrote down Was there are no secrets in this town Stoplight sways in the wind Wonder if I'll ever see you naked again A longing best not written down Cause there are no secrets in this town Oh, there are no secrets in this town Oh, there are no secrets in this town Well, welcome to this week's edition of the Wispy Mop Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Todd, middle initial C. Walker. Yes, that's right. It is me. And we have been listening to the song titled There Are No Secrets in This Town by a, a young gentleman by the name of David Hanners. And he is the first person in my recollection who I have ever spoken with who has a Pulitzer Prize. And he's, <laughs> he's, he's on the line with me right now. Hi, David. Hi, Todd. How are you doing? You know, that's a, a part of our conversation, I am sure. But to go back to the song, I pulled that from your website, and it is actually a YouTube, well, it's a video that you did. And I would imagine that's done in the Mideast somewhere, or it just appears based on the um, streetscape. Am I correct? Cyprus. Cyprus. Cy- yeah, Cyprus. Uh, it was done in the Old Town section of Nicosia. Uh, we lived there for a couple of years. And uh, a German fellow was in Cyprus, and he was looking for musical acts to, to video for a, uh, a series he has. And I emailed him and said, hey, you know, what about me? And um, we actually, uh, that was our the second day of trying. Our, the first one uh, we we're in another section of Old Town, which, which is near the the uh, it's known as the green line. It's the dividing line between Turkish Cyprus and Greek Cyprus. Uh, it's the Turkish side is considered occupied territory, and um, we kept having like soldiers <laughs> <laughs> run through the shot or or walk through the shot. And while that 
might be appropriate for another video. We didn't think it was good for this one. And we did finally get a a take we liked with no interruptions. And then when um, the fellow who was doing the the video got back to his uh, studio, he realized he didn't have the microphone turned on. Oh, no. <laughs> so, so we went, well, you know, we've all been through that. Yes. Uh, at one time or another or in one form or another. So we went, we chose another day and went, picked a, a more desolate section of, of Old Town, uh, which parts of which, you know, date to medieval times. Uh, Nicosia and Cyprus are, are very fascinating places and, and very old. Um, but we had a great time recording it and, um, uh, it was, it was fun and, and I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed doing it, well, even I, though I'm not camera, uh, camera ready. <laughs> well, I thought it actually worked very, very well. And I was amazed at how good the sound is because, and I'm just guessing, but it, it sort of looks like your vocal mic was maybe a Shure SM58 or something along that line, and maybe an SM57 on the guitar. But the sound quality, I don't know how much post-production um, he did, but it comes across very, very nicely. And what I didn't notice when I listened to it on the website, um, and I always listen with headphones, but when I played it, <laughs> Um, after I put it into the mixer so I could play it for the podcast, I didn't, hadn't realized before that you could hear birds in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And because you're outside and I love yes. the part about the, the gentleman with the dog and I listened all the way <laughs> to the end. For those of you who are listening, if you want to check it out, you go to davidhannersmusic.com and Hanners is spelled H-A-N-N-E-R-S. So davidhannersmusic.com. Watch the video. It's under the music, um, menu and you listen to it right until the very end because you think that the video is over and it's not you, you can you can still hear and david makes a comment about the dog and it's cute i and i hope i don't hear from dog lovers because <laughs> 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 because my comments might not be interpreted well by them well, I do have a question, The and I did my darndest to see, because most music videos, they rarely show the headstock of the guitar. What guitar brand and model were you playing in that one? Um, it's a Farida Old Town 22, OT22. Farida is, uh, it's an Asian brand, but it, the design, uh, it's a collaboration with Elderly Instruments up in Michigan. Mm-hmm. And it's their take on the Gibson LG2, uh, the old, you know, uh, Gibson, smaller body Gibson LG2s. And um, it's uh, it's got a solid top, uh, you know, laminate back and sides. But for the money, and that guitar, it's like 420 bucks. Uh, I don't know if the price has gone up, but um, for the money, it sounds really nice. Um, and it, it um, the build quality was very good. And, you know, Farida owners like to say it's like 90% of a Gibson. <laughs> That's uh, a good way to put it. And, and it, it kind of is, and it's at, a, at about a, 
fifth of the price. Um, I mean, I do have a Gibson, my kind of my main stage guitar is a Gibson J35. Um, and, but, but the Farida does, it does, it's a fun little guitar. Well, it fits in an overhead. Yeah. And you're, (laughs) well, that, that is helpful when flying. Absolutely. Yeah. And for those of you listening to the podcast, the way I met David was really, I was dumbfounded and he sent me an email (laughs) because he had been uh, researching cross rock fiberglass guitar cases or cross rock guitar cases had seen a video review I had done for cross rock. I'm a cross rock artist and he emailed me directly to ask me some questions and we just struck up a conversation and it has turned into the podcast. So that first of all, thank you for contacting me. And then thank you again for agreeing to be on the podcast. Well, and, and thank you for the recommendation of the cross rock. It's, it's an excellent case. I'm very, very happy with it. And, yeah. and it, it will be traveling this summer. So, well, you mentioned and, and to explain to people when, when you say you're going to be traveling this summer, where are you going? Well, um, the plan now is uh, my wife and I are probably going to move to England. Um, I, I I actually have dual U.S. Uh, British citizenship. My mother was a war bride. And um, as I age <clears throat> and navigate Medicare and insurance <laughs> and things like that, the National Health Service looks much more attractive. Um, and we've spent uh, our our travels began in 2014. Uh, I was working as a reporter at the St. Paul Pioneer Press. That's what I've done my you know whole career. And my wife was uh, she was an assistant to the. Ramsey County Court Administrator, um, <clears throat> and but she'd been she'd wanted to go back to teaching. She used to live in Kuwait for like twenty years, and had wanted to go back to teaching. So she had gotten her master's, and in twenty fourteen, um, I was just kind of getting frustrated with the changes in the newspaper business, and. Uh, as I got older, I had less tolerance for those changes. And my uh, my only brother, uh, uh, who's ten years older than I am, uh, he he came down with cancer and and eventually died. It was like a fairly aggressive form of cancer, and it was like a month from diagnosis to oh, until he finally died. Yeah, and. Uh, you know, that the whole experience kind of, you know, made made us kind of reassess our lives and realize that we uh, uh, we just needed to do something different. And her at the time, her oldest son uh, was living in Kuwait and he was married and they, they were about to have my wife's first grandchild. And she said, let's go to Kuwait. And so she applied for a teaching got job, got a, got a teaching job at, at an international school in Kuwait. 
And I was able to get a buyout at my paper and we sold the house like in a week <laughs> and sold our cars, got rid, uh, sold or donated our furniture, put we, what we wanted to keep in storage and moved to Kuwait. And, you know, I, I've, I've been to Mexico, I've been, you know, to England and Canada and Germany, but I'd, I'd never been to the Middle East. So I had no idea really what to expect, except for what my wife told me. Um, the day we landed in July of 2014, it was 120 degrees. Oh, man. <laughs> it's it kind of like, welcome to Kuwait. And, you know, we were there for the birth of the uh, first grandkid, Yagub, uh, who's now in second grade in the UK. They have since moved to, to Britain because uh, my stepson's wife is British. They live in Manchester. And we spent five years in Kuwait and uh, – Decided it was time for a change, and uh, she got a job at a school in Morocco. And so we came back to the U.S. over the summer before moving to Morocco. And that job fell through. The, the school in Morocco, the, the, the uh, enrollment went down a whole bunch because they moved the school and a bunch of parents pulled their kids out of the school. So she got a call while we were in the U S in the summer saying, um, even though we hired you and signed a contract, uh, we can't bring you here. <laughs> so, uh, we had to scramble to find something else. And it came down to a choice between San Pedro Sula, Honduras, and uh, Cyprus, and Cyprus looked uh, more attractive, and, and and it also was closer to Great Britain. Uh, so we spent spent the next couple of years in Cyprus, um, and had a, a good time there. Uh, it's it's like I said, it's a fascinating country, and we uh, we had a good time there. Um, and then when we were done there, we decided to go to England and we were there for like six months. Uh, and my citizenship came through. But since my wife was there on a tourist visa, you can only stay for like 180 days every year. So we had to, we came back here. Uh, she got a job teaching in Springfield, here in Springfield, Illinois. And our plan is when her contract is up at the end of June or at the, uh, at the end of the school year, we're going to go, we're going to move to the UK. Um, we're, you know, financially able to do it. And we just, we just found life over there less stressful. I guess is a way to put it. And I, I mean, and I'm a patriotic American. I hate to say stuff like, you know, we find life over there less stressful. Um, but we did. And plus we, and we now have three grandkids, Yugu, Mesa, and Lulu. And uh, we just 
we realized we really liked spending time with them. So uh, we really missed them. So we want to go back. Now, are you going to move to Manchester where they're they're staying, or are you going to be in a different um, town? Probably Manchester. When we lived there uh, earlier this year, uh, or earlier last year, rather, we were in a part of Manchester known as Withenshaw, which is the largest council housing estate in Britain, we were told. And parts of it were nice and parts of it were not so nice. And we were, we were in one of the kind of the in-between uh, places. Our neighbor, we, we lived in a, you know, it was a council flat. It was a privately owned. The unit we were in was privately owned. It was, was rented. We, we paid rent. Our neighbor was a woman, a single mom with uh, a couple of incorrigible kids and an inflatable hot tub in the backyard. Um, and a trampoline. And uh, at my age, I'm just I'm just tired of dealing with kids in inflatable hot tubs and trampolines. <laughs> and one one night, oddly enough, the hot tub sprang a leak, uh, an air leak. So it kind of it went down during overnight, which. I guess happens if you have an inflatable hot tub. That's 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 a risk you take. So yeah, we're we're here until June at least, and then we'll probably go back up to the Twin Cities where where we lived for a long time, and our stuff is in storage, and you know spend a week or so closing out affairs there and figuring out what we want to take over to Britain. And then head over there. Well, in on your biography section, it, it it starts out. It says David Hanners is one of the few former oil field roughnecks. <laughs> yeah. Now yeah. You, you've spoken about your your you know newspaper career, and we know because you, we started the podcast out with a song, and this is an acoustic music uh, podcast that you're a songwriter and performer. Tell me about the, when were you a roughneck in the oil field? <laughs> well, you know, you know how music bios can be. Yes. Um, the, um, I, my father uh, actually worked in the oil fields uh, in the, the part of Illinois, the East Central Illinois we're from. Um, there actually is uh, uh, an oil field, a number of oil fields. Um and he worked in those, and I spent uh, uh, one summer and one winter working with him on the wells that he uh, he handled. And it was long enough to realize this was not work I wanted to do. <laughs> you know, I, I and I had friends who who worked in the oil fields, but, you know, you'd go to lunch and I'd realize my dad and I were the only people with all of our fingers. Yeah. Um, uh, and cause, cause it is, it's unforgiving work. Um, and our, our, when I got to Texas, my first journalism job was in Amarillo and, you know, you'd talk to Texas oil men, oil men and, uh, 
you know, when when I tell them that my, you know, our the deepest well we had was probably 600 feet, you know, they'd laugh at it. You know, they're just getting started at 600 feet. <laughs> um, and I mean, they're dr- drilling down hundreds and, you know, thousands of feet. And um, so, you know, when I was writing my bio, I thought, you know, I needed some sort of juxtaposition there. And so, you know, I did I did work as a roughneck for several months. It, 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 admittedly, it was not my, my main livelihood. But, uh, you know, it could come I, in handy in a, in a, in a contentious uh, conversation in a bar, you know, just to say, Hey fella, just to let you know, I'm a roughneck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, 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 it's one of those things that you, you know, you pull out when you need to. Yeah. <laughs> and, but then you learn to keep to, stay away from situations where you might need to pull it out when, you know, when I worked in Texas and I did a lot of traveling around the state in, in my jobs, um, I, I would have to, you know, mention it from time to time, but, uh, there, the problem is I, I, I forgot a lot about like a, the names of a lot of the pieces of equipment. So I would, I, I would be judicious in how I would mention it. So how did your musical life begin? Well, I started, I taught myself to play uh, when I was in high school. Uh, I wasn't, I was lousy at sports and I didn't have any other talents. So there was like no way to get the attention of chicks. <laughs> uh, and, you know, anybody who tells you that they, Picked, any guy who tells you that they picked up the guitar because they wanted to pursue art or be creative, uh, they're lying. They, they pick up the guitar because they want to impress the chicks. Um, and so I, I taught myself uh, to play the guitar. My brother, when he went out to college, had an old uh, blonde Stella guitar. Uh, and it had no pickguard. And I went up to the, the the pharmacy of all places in the small town we lived in, Milliken's Pharmacy, and they sold guitar strings. You know, you could buy your heart medicine and guitar strings <laughs> uh, and black diamond strings. And I, I got put strings on it, and my mother was a librarian, so I, I – I checked a book out of the library, I believe it was the Glenn Campbell Guitar Method or something like that. And it had, you know, pictures of the chord diagrams. And and so I just taught myself to play. And, and being left-handed, I, I held the guitar the way it felt, felt naturally to me. Um, and, you know, realized after I'd been playing for a few weeks and started, you know, hanging out with other kids who played that I had the guitar upside down. Uh, and by then it was kind of too late. So I already knew, you know, uh, all the chords I needed to D A and G. Uh, later I threw in C and F and E and B minor. Um, and so I, I started playing guitar, uh, in high school, uh, Played some in college, not professionally or anything. Um, and then my first 
newspaper job out of college was was at the Amarillo Globe News in Amarillo, Texas, up in the Panhandle. And arriving in Texas at that time, um, I started there in the fall of 77. Texas was just such a... uh, I'm looking for the word, a cauldron of musical creativity at the time. I mean, you had the kind of the outlaw movement going on with, you know, Willie Nelson and, uh, you know, Jerry Jeff Walker and Michael Martin Murphy and, and all those people. And it really opened my eyes up musically. Uh, and it was... Uh, uh, that's when I kind of started toying with writing, but didn't write very much. Then after a couple of years in Amarillo, I moved down to Brownsville, Texas, on the Texas-Mexico border, and uh, worked at the paper there, uh, which was in itself a a real kind of experience, because Brownsville at the time was like 85% Hispanic and being a white Midwesterner, I had never lived in an environment where I was a minority. And that was, it was a really eye opening experience. And it really kind of changed the way I view the world in, in a number of ways uh, but musically, it's very rich. I mean, you got uh, you know all the all the music coming out of Mexico. I actually worked with a couple of guys who knew Freddie Fender. Oh wow! Because uh, he was he's from the Rio Grande Valley, you know, area of Texas. Uh, or uh, but they you know they knew him under the name Baltimore Huerta, which was his birth name, and that's the name that he used when he lived down there. And then he went to Nashville and became Freddie Fender. Um, and then after a couple of years in uh, Brownsville, I went to work at the Dallas Morning News up in Dallas, and the. Aside from being a great job, um, it also just really kind of put my desire to play music on steroids because I did travel around the state a lot. I was at the time I was hired, I was a general assignment reporter on the on the state desk, and at the time the state desk of the Dallas Morning News covered Texas and Oklahoma and Louisiana and Arkansas and New Mexico. And, you know, when my, when the editor hired me, he said I would probably spend about 25% of my time traveling. And I'd say in the first two years, it was just the opposite. I spent about 75% of my time traveling. And so, you know, I got to go a lot of places and meet a lot of people. And at the same time, you know, hear a lot of great music. And that was, um, there was a public radio, a public supported radio station, FM station in Dallas, KNON, that had, in the morning, they had the Super Roper Redneck Review. Actually, that was in the afternoon. They had Ranger Rita in the morning, but they played 
these people I, I had never heard of before, like Nancy Griffith and Robert Earl Keane and Steve Earle and, and, you know, Lyle Lovett and folks like that. And I actually, in Dallas, I actually worked with a couple of guys who went to school, went to college at Texas A&M with Lovett and Keene. Uh, Lovett was actually a journalism major at A&M. So they, you know, they, they were in classes with him and everything. They talked about the time that he'd play like at the pizza joint and he'd be in the, you know, the middle of a contemplative song. And, you know, all of a sudden the PA would go, number 27, your pizza's ready. <laughs> and I figured if Lyle Lovett could like withstand that, I could too. So, um, so it, it was, I really had a, uh, a good time. That's when I kind of really started taking the craft of songwriting seriously and played in a, <clears throat> we had a trio, three of us at the paper um, called Roadkill. Uh, <clears throat> our music wasn't so great, but we had a great logo. Um, <laughs> And we and we we broke up over artistic differences. The audiences wanted us to be artistic, and we didn't want to. Um, but uh, the we uh, we played, you know, around town, and uh, it was it was a lot of fun. Then I got I got in ninety two or so, ninety one or ninety two. Uh, I was starting to get burned out. So I, I took a year long fellowship at the university of Michigan law school and being back in the Midwest, I realized I'm, I missed the Midwest. Uh, Texas is a great place if you're young uh, and if you have a lot of energy, but as soon as I was, I started getting older and had a kid, uh, it, it, there are aspects of Texas that lost its allure for me. Now, I have plenty of friends who are from Texas, and they love it. And there are many things about Texas I like, uh, the food, uh, the people, uh, the, the scenery. But I just, um, I just started really missing the Midwest. So we moved back to... Uh, moved up to St. Paul, and I was at the Pioneer Press for like 20 years. Wow, now I feel old. <laughs> uh, but and and St. Paul, the Twin Cities, uh, you know, is a very vibrant music community. Um, it's not all just Prince, uh, but it, it was it was. I've met a lot of great people. I mean, one of the, as I'm sure you will attest, uh, one of the great things about music is the people you meet. That is true. And and I've got, you know, some of my longest lasting friendships have been, you know, musicians I've met or played with. And there's just kind of a bond that you form when you play music with someone uh, that, kind of transcends, you know, politics or personal feelings or things like that. So, um, 
So when we did leave in 2014, I mean, it, it was part of me thought, you know, kind of hate leaving this place. But the other part of me said, you know, it's it's time to do something different. It's time to go see how people in other parts of the world live. And so it's been an adventure. Well, the I was... And I, I'm going to play one of your songs from your murder ballads of Texas Panhandle in a moment. Okay, all right. The and you know, I guess the fodder for those songs, if you if you will, came from your memories of living in Texas. But when were they recorded? Because I think it, I read somewhere that you recorded the songs 6,400 miles, 6,400 miles away in Cyprus. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I wanted, uh, I'd gotten an idea to do an EP, uh, and I had uh, some murder ballads, and some of them took place in the Panhandle, and some of them didn't, so I rewrote the ones, <clears throat> excuse me, I rewrote the ones that didn't to put them in the Panhandle, um, and I, I found a, a recording studio who kind of you know was was hip to my concept of of just keeping things simple uh, plus I was too cheap to hire a lot of other musicians um, and so we we recorded I forget how I think six songs I I would like to go Frankly, I would like to go back and redo some of them and maybe make a full record because I've written actually a couple more uh, since then. If I can tell a real quick story, one one of the songs that's not on the the EP, and I wish it were. Um, I wanted to write. I wanted to actually have an old do a cover of maybe like some old cowboy murder ballad that takes place in the panhandle because I thought surely there's got to be some I mean the panhandle had, has this great cowboy tradition and I couldn't find any I mean I went to all the the usual you know folk music <clears throat> sources and, and couldn't find any murder ballads that take place in the Texas panhandle and there's there's one song uh uh Oh, I can't recall the title, the Mule Skinner Blues or something. I know Tim, uh, Woody Guthrie did a version of it, and Tim O'Brien does a version of it where he places some of the action in the panhandle. Um, but I couldn't find it. I, I couldn't find a cover to do, so I wound up writing one. And the next, if I redo that, that EP, the, this this other song will be on it. It's, it's a it's a true cowboy murder ballad. So, uh, but yeah, it, it felt a, a bit weird being in, you know, Cyprus recording songs about the Texas Panhandle. But uh, the memories were still pretty vivid about that place. It's 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 a pretty vivid place. <laughs> Well, one of the things that I find interesting about your songs is your, the composition of your lyrics. You're very good, and, and one of your, I can't remember who, it was a quote or a comment from somebody saying how you're a storyteller. And you do um, 
storytell without hitting people in the face, if that makes any sense. And I love um, lyrics that, I guess, the best way to put it would be insinuate a story without (laughs) actually telling the story so that the listener can make up the story or all the little offshoots of the story. You're giving them the bare bones, almost like the bullet points, but you do it in such a a wonderful way. In fact, the song I'm going to play in a moment is called, its title is Canadian Texas. Yeah. And there's a a couple spots in that that just grabbed me. And one was, and I'm going to summarize and get it wrong, but you're talking about how the river flows past this little town as if it was doing penance. Yeah. And that is something as a songwriter, I don't think I would ever come up with the word penance anywhere and be able to fit it in a song. And you do it so effortlessly. I mean, it just fits. And later on in the song, there's another uh, line that just I, I, I love dearly. But uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to play that for everybody. Sure. And, and if you, on the other side, if you want me to, I can I can. I can explain all that. Oh, <laughs> ab- ab- absolutely. Okay. So, so, ladies and gentlemen, this is Canadian Texas. The Canadian River snakes from Colorado down to the Arkansas. 900 miles of bends, quicksand and draws But it crawls past one town as if it must do penance Canadian Texas Not much happens in this two-stoplight town safe place to grow up for a kid like Tom Brown. Still there is a darkness you cannot escape it. In Canadian Texas When Tom Brown went missing rumors flew like flushed quail. But the sheriff dropped the ball And the case went stale Townsfolk put up signs Saying a killer lives among us In Canadian Texas Some guy out looking for antlers Stumbled on Tom Brown's bones Neath an arthritic oak Out by Lake Marvin Road But they gave up no secrets The mystery still perplexes In Canadian Texas Some suspect a lawman Was somehow involved Would not be the first time in a case this long unsolved And the river still crawls and God still demands penance 
line I love is flu like flushed quail. <laughs> Thank you. The, um, well, I, 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 when I was writing it, I, I was trying to think, what do you call it when a bunch of a covey of quail or whatever a bunch of quail is when they flew? And I lo- was looking up online, and some there was something that referred to you know flushed quail. I thought, well, that's a perfect word. So that's why I stuck it in the song. Well, you have a wonderful sound. Um, I had mentioned in one of my emails that you you remind me in your delivery, especially in There Are No Secrets in This Town, is Jeff Talmadge, um, who lived in Texas for a while. He's back in Atlanta now, I think. he's uh, He's been up to the Frederick, Maryland area numerous. He used to come up about every year, sometimes every other year. Former attorney uh, turned songwriter. Um, spent a lot of time in, in Europe. Uh, touring and so forth, but you have a, a unique delivery like he does, which is very endearing. Uh, but you also sound a lot like Towns Van Zant. Well, thank you. Um, I I take that as a great compliment. Um, I've never really I've never really worked on my singing. I just kind of used what I had because my emphasis has has really kind of always been on the songwriting and the key word the key part of that word to me is writing and when you look at songs like Canadian Texas it's basically a news story uh you know Woody Guthrie said write what you know and uh, I think I've, I kind of twist that in a way to say, you know, write how you know how to write. And I, sp- I spent, you know, close to 40 years <clears throat> writing newspaper stories. And it's kind of the approach that I take to songwriting. Uh, I, 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 they're just kind of news stories with words that rhyme. I mean, like Canadian Texas is a true story. There actually was a teenage kid uh, named Tom Brown who went missing. Uh, and uh, there was some suspicion that like a local lawman may have been involved. Uh, no charges have ever been filed. They did eventually find his bones, but uh, it's it's still an open case. And so it, it's kind of uh, the, the writing that I think uh, I like to do most and that I think maybe I'm best at is just basically telling stories. I I don't do many confessional songs. Uh, You know, the typical singer songwriter, you know, she broke my heart. What am I going to do type songs? Um, Because for one thing, I'm not very good at, those types of songs. I don't have much to confess, so it's hard to do confessional songs. And for the most part, I've had a pretty decent life. (laughs) It's hard to sing the blues when you have (laughs) the blues. And um, so 
you know, you go with with what you can do. And I think telling these types of stories is is something that uh, is what interests me about songwriting. Uh, I, you know, I've, I've written, uh, I've written a few, you know, songs that deal with, you know, my life personally, but I've been to too many, you know, shows or, or open mics um, where, you know, you hear someone drone on and on about their troubles and you just sit there and you go, you know, I'm tired of hearing about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and those those songs to me are hard to do because it's hard to come up with some something original, some original thought. My my kind of credo as a journalist and my years as a journalist is you know, when you're covering a story, zig when everybody else sags, you know, if everybody else is running to cover this aspect of a story, let's look at this other aspect of the story and cover that. And so when it comes to songwriting, you know, I want to find, you know, kind of the unique point of view to tell the story from. And, um, and, it, and it's, I mean, it's, it's worked uh, for me anyway. I mean, I, I, I enjoy it. And, and I, you know, the songs that I get decent feedback on, I mean, are, are those types of songs. Um, and, and you, you, you can find them anywhere. Uh, there's a, there's a song I do called Mohammed Salah's Prayer which I wrote when I was living in the Twin Cities. So there, there was a there's a magazine, I think it's on online now, called Rift Magazine. It's a music magazine. But in the early 2000s, they were having a series of shows. They put on a series of shows called 36 Hours, where they would pick like 15 or 16 songwriters. And 36 hours before the show, they would they would give you a prompt and, and everybody got the same prompt. Um, and you had to write a song from that prompt. And then you, you go to the show and uh, everybody plays their song and then, then, and then they pick a winner. And I got chosen to do it a couple of times. So one of the times was, uh, the prompt was public transportation, which, you know, when I heard it, when the guy called me and said, you know, here's what you have to write about. I thought, well, gosh, darn it. You know, all the good train songs have already been done. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, well, you know, it could be about anything. It could be, you know, about bicycles. It could be ta- taxi cabs, you know, any, anything dealing with, with, transportation public transportation so i thought well i'll do a song about you know an an upbeat song about you know some down on his luck guy who's driving a cab so i wrote the song and keep in mind we got 36 hours to write this song and wrote the song and 
And it sounded like someone who didn't know anybody, who didn't know anything about driving a cab, writing a song about driving a cab. So I went online, you know, I, I thought, well, I'll throw in some cabby slang or something to make it sound, uh, you know, more, more authentic. Because, you know, once, once you can fake authenticity, you can do about anything. And um, in the course of looking online, I came across these a couple of stories from Minneapolis. And actually, I realized I'd covered one of them about a, a Somali cab driver who had been shot uh, and killed uh, and robbed, uh, uh, I think back in 2003, I want to want to say it was. Uh, and this, the enormity of that story just astounded me because here's a guy who's lived through the hell of Mogadishu during, you know, the Civil War um, and, you know, spends, you know, 14 or 15 years in a refugee camp, finally makes it to the promised land, the United States, and, uh, and gets a job driving a cab and then gets shot and killed. And I thought, my God, that's, you know, that's what I ought to be writing a song about. So I wrote, wrote that song and it's, it was one of those songs that just kind of came out fairly quickly. And I, I got it done, you know, under the 36 hour deadline and performed it. And it's been one of my more popular uh, tunes. Uh, I did not win the, the competition. Uh, and I, I was, I was astounded by the number of people who wrote songs about meeting their true love on a bus. Um, there were like two or three songs about that. Um, <clears throat> but, and I hate to keep going back to Woody Guthrie, but one of the things he would do, you know, was read the paper every morning and cut out stories and underline, you know, underlying events or happenings that, that he thought might make good songs. And that's something I've done, you know, on a number of occasions. <clears throat> I'll print out stories and, you know, get a yellow highlighter and say, you know, this, this fact needs to be in the song in some way. And so, you know, sometimes I describe my music as just, you know, news stories that rhyme. <laughs> Well, how, or at least I try to rhyme. How long does it take you from the time you start acquiring this information where you decide to write a song using some of that to when it's completed? Is there, and I know every song is different. We, and we all have to say that, but what is an average from the time you start a song until you've, it's completed enough that you would perform it live. Let's put it that way, or at least play it in your living room to your, your wife or friends. About how long? Um, well, yes, it, it does differ. I'd say if there was an average, maybe a week, because as as my uh, as my desire to learn more about the craft of songwriting, uh, uh, as that expands, one of the things I've I've learned is the importance of editing. Uh, 
you know, reporters, <laughs> reporters generally get, uh, you know, don't have good things to say about editors. Uh, but I've, I've now learned the importance of editing. And so I will let the stuff spill out, but then I will spend probably anywhere from three or four times as long editing the song. One of my big beliefs is we just write, we songwriters write too much. Mm -hmm. We we tell, uh, you know, we, we spend five minutes telling a story that might be better told than three. Um, And when you go back and look at, at, uh, you know, some of the great songs on the radio that we listened to growing up, I'm, I'm stunned by their brevity. I mean, if you look at Merle Haggard's uh, Mama Tried, that clocks in at just a little over two minutes. But my God, goodness, what a story. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And you get, you get it all. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing more you could add to that story that would, uh, that would help the listener understand it any better. But Haggard, you know, does it uh, in, like I say, just a little over two minutes. And that includes a solo. <laughs> that includes a guitar solo. So I, th- I think I've, one of the things I've tried to, to really work on is just editing and just working on brevity. Uh, for one thing, the older I get, the harder it is to to memorize lyrics. <laughs> so if a song if a song is shorter, I can memorize it more easily. But also it's like let's not belabor the point. You know, a song should be kind of like a conversation. And if you had a friend who started talking and didn't stop for like six or seven minutes, you'd you'd kind of wonder about their sanity. Uh my and my attitude is get in, tell the story, hopefully tell it eloquently and musically and get out. You know, it, it's uh, it's something that, that I really tried to work on. I mean, a song, again, like Canadian Texas, I mean, that could have gone on longer. But why does it need to? You tell the story and, the, you know, the kid, uh, it's a mystery. You know, the kid went missing. We don't know who was involved. They found his bones. It's still a mystery. Uh, you know, there's there's no need to belabor the point. Now, do you I have hope a, that answers the question? No, it, it, it does. It, do you have a favorite place or spot to write? Do you have a, a musical office where that, that's where you sit down at a desk or whatever? Uh, some people seclude themselves in a, in a family cabin up in the woods for two weeks. Um, everyone has their, and, and many people just, it's wherever they're, they play guitar most, maybe at, at the kitchen, on the kitchen table or the, uh, um, on the sofa in the living room or family room. Do you have a favorite place? We have a, a, in our current apartment, we have a spare bedroom, uh, and that's pretty much where I do it. And, when we were living in England, the place we were in had a spare bedroom, and that's where I did a lot of the writing there. Um, 
I've never been one of those who like needs to go out in the woods and write. Uh, if I had a place to go to, I might. But um, working in newsrooms for all these years, you, you you get used to writing with a lot of distractions. Uh, that's that's one thing news writing kind of conditions you to do. You you get used to. Uh, collecting facts and determining what the narrative is and then sitting down to write the story and, and, you know, following the course of that narrative. Um, and so, yeah, I can write almost anywhere. Uh, and, and that, that again is, is just, is just something going back to, the journalism training and experience. Well, the um, to end the show, I'm going to play a, a song by you that was, um, it comes from one of your two videos on your website, and both of them say live at the juke. And I looked okay. up the juke, and the only thing I could find was a place somewhere in England. Is that where you recorded that? No, that... that um, the juke um, was in Kuwait. Uh, there were a couple of uh, couple of guys, both of them Kuwaiti Americans, uh, who uh, opened a studio, and, and they were also music promoters. And uh, they 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 dug my music, and they they got it. They understood it. Uh, and they were very nice, very nice to me, and they got me some some nice but weird gigs uh, because <clears throat> you know one of the when you're a performer and and you know uh, I think you you probably realize this from your own experience too. You know if if you feel you're meant to do this. You can put it away for a while, but eventually you need to get up in front of people and play. Mm -hmm. And, you know, living in Kuwait, where English is not the predominant language, uh, but, you know, many people speak it. Uh, and living in Cyprus, where English is not the predominant language, but again, many people speak it. It was hard to find places to play. So... You know, these guys were, were good at helping me find gigs, and they were different. <clears throat> Kuwait was such a strange music environment anyway, because there, there are a lot of kind of institutional roadblocks to live music in Kuwait. Um, as an aside, in Kuwait, each musical performance, you know, be it a concert or just, you know, uh, somebody playing in their local coffee shop, each musical performance has to have a permit from the government. And, and each mus individual performance has to have a permit from the government. And, you know, you look at someplace in the U.S., like if you have a coffee shop and you want to have live music, uh, maybe you get a cabaret license or something like that from the local county or city. You know, you pay your ASCAP and BMI and CSAC fees or whatever. 
and then you you have music. In Kuwait, you had to actually get <laughs> apply for a, a permit. Uh, the club did uh, to have music. So there's not a lot of places with music in Kuwait. So these guys, these guys were very helpful in that process. And they had a studio, uh, a, a fairly well-equipped studio. And it, it, I think it was Jukebox Productions or something, but they called it the Juke. Uh, but they, like I say, they were very nice to me and, and got me some good uh, and actually high-paying gigs, but also a couple of really weird ones. Um, which, if we had more time, I would be happy to tell you about. <laughs> it. Um, but it, it, they uh, they got my music, so I, I was very fortunate to meet them. Well, what, I'm, what do you go ahead? No, I was just going to say I'm going to play the beginning of where the Wabash Wabash meets the Ohio, and okay. the reason I'm going to do that is. It appears on both that and Refugee, which will be the song people listen to after you and I finish our conversation. Okay. Is the, and in, on Refugee, I cut out some of the introduction only from a time standpoint, but what I want yeah. people to hear is the beginning of you introducing where the Wabash meets the Ohio, because okay. you recorded it live as if you had a student, as if you were performing live with a, with an audience. And yeah. One of the things that is so difficult for many performers, songwriters, performers, is to introduce a song so that it kind of pulls the person in or the listening yeah. in. And I think you do a great job on that song. We won't play the whole song. We'll prob probably only play maybe 30 seconds of the song. But I want people okay. to, to hear the beginning. And this, okay. this is the beginning. Okay, since I'm an American, I have to do a murder ballad. This is an old-timey ballad. Uh, even though I wrote it. Um, it's about a part of Illinois in the southern part of the state, near where the Wabash River meets, flows into the Ohio River, which then flows into the Mississippi River. It's called Where the Wabash Meets the Ohio. I tell you Levi Crow shot Jim Ramsey down. So fair warning, boys, if you ever go down where the Wabash meets the Ohio. And I love the way you introduce that because it's just, it's simple, but in my the way I hear it is if I were sitting in a coffee shop or some venue where people are not there specifically to listen to the music, but it's part of the atmosphere. And I wasn't paying a hundred percent of attention because I was looking at the, my wife across the table or the friend I was chatting with. And I overheard you introduce that. It would give me just enough information to go, I wonder what that song's about. Other than you um, introduce the song, you know, because the yeah. title doesn't always, it's, it's what the song is about, but there's always those underlying layers. Yeah. Well, my, my general philosophy is, is, you know, 
an introduction uh, needs to be relatively short and not over informative uh, because you're going to tell the story with the song. Um, now, the the exception to that, one of my probably my favorite folk singer is the late Bill Morrissey, uh, who <clears throat> who was great at introductions, and they were some of them were hilarious, and uh, and he could really tell a story. Um, the other thing at work there, <clears throat> I realized in playing in Kuwait and in Cyprus and even in, in Great Britain, a lot of the, a lot of the songs I do are geographically specific. And, you know, if you're someone sitting in a coffee shop in Kuwait, you have no idea where the Wabash river is Mm -hmm. or where, or where the Ohio river is. Uh, you may have heard of the Mississippi River, but that's probably it. And so, you know, I need just so they have some some basic understanding of where the song is taking place and why it why that's an element of the story. I, I think it's important to do that in an introduction. Uh, but again, and I, I'm sure you know this has happened. You've you've witnessed this yourself also. You see, you know, plenty of people sometimes introducing a song and the introduction takes longer than the actual song. Uh, And I've always felt, you know, my songs should speak for themselves. But you also kind of have to, I think, sometimes give the audience a bit of, of background uh, of you know why why the location of the song is an important element, uh, and I I think I hope I hope that helps explain you know like where the Wabash meets the Ohio to you know if you're a, you know someone from the Middle East listening to this guy from downstate Illinois. (laughs) I know many of the guitarists who are listening today are going to wonder, since we mentioned cross rock fiberglass guitar cases, and you mentioned you have the, now do you still own the Farida? Yeah. Okay. And then you have the, the J 35 Gibson. They're going to, they're going to want to know, do you have any other guitars? Yes, I have a, um, I have a, a, uh, Guitar built by Kevin Schwab, who is a luthier and repairman up in St. Paul. He worked for years in Charlie Hoffman's shop, but now works at St. Paul Guitar Repair. And it's built from a, a Stuart McDonald kit. I, uh, I don't know if you're familiar yes. with Stuart McDonald. Yeah, it's a Stumac kit. It's, a, it's a, basically a D18 clone. And I, I wanted to have him build uh build me a nice uh dreadnought and i I wanted a nice dreadnought but i didn't want to spend the money for a you know a d18 um because i and i'm more of a mahogany guy than a rosewood guy um and 
I figured, you know, it would be nice to, you know, throw some money locally up there in St. Paul. And, and so I approached him and asked him if he'd build it. And he did and did a wonderful, it's a lovely guitar. It's 10 years old now and it, it has survived. Uh, it went with me to Kuwait. So when I landed in July of 2014 and it was 120 degrees out, mm. it, it, it survived that. Um, although it did, it did suffer some damage because one summer I overhumidified it. So uh, I had it in one of those SKB uh, I-series flight cases. I mean, the, the, those big rectangular cases, they're built like a tank. Um, and they're advertised as waterproof and airtight. And I didn't realize just how waterproof and airtight they were. But we're going back to the U.S. for a couple of months one summer, uh, summer, I think, 2019 or so. And so I, I, I was going to take the J35, um, and so I left left the case, the guitar, the Schwab guitar in the case, uh, with a couple of those uh, soap dish humidifiers, you know, the sponge and the soap dish, and um, and another humidifier, and wound up over humidifying the thing. And so it wound up with some finish issues. So uh, actually, now I think it was that may have been 2018 when that happened. And so the next summer when we went back to the U.S., I brought the guitar back and had Kevin fix it. And he had to do some respraying of the finish, and it had a nitro finish. And by the time we were ready to leave for cyprus it wasn't dry so i had to leave it behind actually for a couple of years and was only reunited with it last uh actually last october uh, i didn't have it in england either because we, we didn't come back to the u.s during covid uh traveling was just too onerous uh, so it, it i i went without it for I guess two or three years. It's really nice to get it back because it's a very nice guitar and I really enjoy it. And the thing now with, you know, looking at moving to England, I keep wanting, I keep wondering, do I really want to take three guitars? Because part of my credo with our moving and traveling over the past uh, several years is that you kind of you kind of reassess what's important in your life, and I came to the conclusion that if I'm unwilling to lug it through an airport, I probably don't need it. <laughs> <laughs> and so the thought of lugging three guitars through, and I know people do it, but the thought of lugging three guitars and you know my my suitcase through an airport are not attractive. So I'm trying, I'm trying to figure out if I really do want to take three guitars or take two and have one shipped over, but shipping a guitar internationally is just, is just crazy expensive. Um, and so, uh, I'm, I'm, 
I've only got three guitars, and sometimes I wonder if that's too too many. But I don't get I don't want to get rid of any of them, so I don't know what to do. <laughs> well, coming from a gentleman myself who owns about twenty, and at one time had oh more, my goodness, at one time I had more than fifty, and I have a. Oh. Um, uh, a friend who's no longer with us, unfortunately, and I semi got him into collecting more expensive guitars. And at one point in time, the last time I was in his home, he had well over a hundred guitar cases and they were all black TKL cases. And I said, how about that guitar that, uh, you know, and I mentioned it. I said, I'd love to see that again. He goes, Oh Todd, I won't be able to find it <laughs> <laughs> because well, they were like know, three deep, you know, about 20 feet yeah. wide in two rooms on all walls. And it was just, you know, my gosh. Well, I will say that that is one thing about the Crossrock cases. I I got uh, for the Schwab guitar. I got I got the yellow fiberglass, and I think you mentioned in the video that you know the, if if you've got a you know if you're at a gig or something, and there are other musicians there, and you've got like a row of guitar cases, you know which one is yours. That's right. I love and, I love color. <laughs> yes, and, and well, and, you know, I've always wondered why guitar cases have to be black anyway, because I mean, they just get hot. <laughs> yeah, that is that is a very good point. And and so now, I, and I actually have a, I have. The Schwab in, in the yellow cross rock, I have a white uh, superior uh, uh, fiberglass case. I don't know if it's, it's not advertised as a flight case, so I don't know if it's something I want to check or not uh, for the J35. And then I have a Gator uh, TSA case for the Farida. Um I've really, I've never had any problems flying with the guitars. Uh, I mean, and we, you know, we all hear the horror stories. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I, I need to find some wood to knock on because I need to knock on wood. But I've never had any difficulty uh, flying with guitars or checking them. And the, 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 the SKB case, the the one that the Schwab that I took the Schwab to uh, Kuwait in, like I said, it's built like a tank, uh, and I it would you know it will outlive me, and the guitar inside it will outlive me. So, but yeah, I I do appreciate your 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 recommendation of the cross rock. It's, it's, it's a very good case. Well, and I appreciate you spending the time today because I know that on the day that we are taping this, which is Thursday, February the 3rd, we are experiencing rain. You are experiencing snow. And, yes. uh, I thank you so much for one contacting me originally, then following up with emails back and forth and then agreeing to do this because I found music that I like and I love many, many, many artists' songs, but I really enjoyed yours. I ordered a physical CD. It was the last one left. And uh, I, I can't remember. I think it's the, uh, there are no secrets in this town. I can't remember now because it was, I, I just Googled stuff. And so that brings up yeah. a question. Before I say goodbye to you, how can people purchase your music if they choose to do so? Um, I, uh, there were some on 
CD baby. I, I have two CDs out. One is the Traveler's Burden, uh, which I would love to do over because I, I wasn't very smart when I did it. Um, and then there, there, there are no secrets in this town is another one. I'm, I'm more proud of that one. Um, and then the, the EPs are actually on my website. I, I, and I hate to be like this, but I, I gave up the profit motive when it came to music a long time ago. <laughs> I, I, I was one of the, I was going to say, I, I didn't realize there was a profit motive. <laughs> well, well, that's why I gave it up. Um, I, you know, I was very fortunate in that I had a day job and people would always tell me, don't quit your day job. And so, you know, music was kind of a, a hobby for me. And I, and I know, <clears throat> as, as I'm sure you do, plenty of people who do make a living from it and they've been really hit hard by not being able to tour uh, <clears throat> or or book gigs, you know, during the pandemic, and I I, I want to take the approach, uh, at least while that's happening, that I that I don't charge for music. I I don't know if I don't know if you can download the the album from my website. I know you can download the the EPs from my website at no cost. Uh, the, I I tell people it's free, so if you if you don't like it, you don't get any money back. Um, <laughs> and and you know they can they can check out the music on the website. And I'm just I'm kind of one of those musicians who's not always trying to sell you something. And I don't begrudge people who do, mind you. Uh, but I just. I never felt comfortable taking money, although I will. Well, for those of you who are listening, who would love to catch a show uh, where David is uh, performing, and I don't know if these are still good because of the, the latest, uh, although the surge seems to be dropping off, but on his site, there are two gigs. Um, the first is at the Buzz Bomb Brewing Company in Springfield, yeah. Illinois, on February the 26th from 7 to 9. And uh, it's David Hanners and Tom Irwin. And then yeah. he has a show himself with Bill Poss at the Jackson Avenue Coffee Shop in Charleston, Illinois, on March the 12th from 7 until 9. So if you live in that part of the United States and you want to catch the show, I would suggest that maybe you contact David just ahead of time to make sure, or the venue to make sure there's there, the, the concert is still on, but that'll be a lot of fun. And I wish you the very, very best with your move to England. And I hope well, you have a you. Su successful career over there with your music and whatever you choose to do and get to see the grandkids. Well, the thing about Manchester is <clears throat> it is a hotbed of folk music. There are, there are lots of venues, there are lots of folk music organizations, and I've been really kind of hungering to get over there and really, you know, become a, become a part of that community as best I can. And uh, I'm, re I'm really looking forward to that. So I, I, I thank you for your, 
your good wishes. Well, and you enjoy the snowstorm. And um, this show will be live sometime later today. When I say live, it'll be on wispymopmusic.podbean.com. And uh, I will send you a quick email just to let you know when it's, or, or a text, just to let you know when you can go to the site and listen to it. And again, okay, thank, great. Th- thanks so much. And uh, go back to your third cup of coffee. Okay. Well, thank you, Todd. I really appreciate it. All right, David. Thanks again. All right. All bye-bye. Right, bye-bye. That was David Hanners from Springfield, Illinois, currently, but soon to be from Manchester, in England. And we are going to finish the show with a song titled Refugee. This is called Refugee. Home is rubble, land to breathe. Nightmares when she sleeps. Demagogues argue right and wrong But you can't reason with a barrel bomb Give me your huddled masses yearning to breathe free Give me your refugee Casualty of war is true. Boy on the beach knew that's not true. A photo worth a thousand words. Boys, Alan. Gates of foreign shores Mighty woman with a torch A beacon for the world to see Welcome to refugee Our wretched refuge comes again But I'm caught in hearts of men We are tired, we are poor Mother of exile shut the door Give me your huddled masses yearning to breathe
The Westby Mob Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series is produced by me, Todd C. Walker. That's Todd, middle initial C. Walker. Yes, that's right. It's me at the Westby Mop Music Studio in Frederick, Maryland. All the music on the podcast is played by permission from the artist. If you're enjoying the series, please feel free to share the link with family and friends and other musicians. It's wispymopmusic.pod bean.com and it's podbean p-o-d-b-e-a-n.com or you can find the show on either itunes or apple podcasts and thanks again to david hanners for joining me today we'll catch you next time